being a market leader doesn't always mean you're the top guy in, in selling products. Uh, it means you're willing to walk out on that ledge and, and risk yourself for what you believe in and tell the rest of the industry to come with you because this is where we're going. This is The Dime. Dive into the cannabis and hemp industry through trends, insights, predictions, and tangents. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of The Dime. I'm Brian Fields, and with me, as always, is Kellen Finney. And this week, we've got a very special guest, Eric Leslie of Chiba Chews, co-owner. How are you doing, Eric? Thanks for taking the time. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Doing really well. Excited to dive in. Kellen, how are you doing? I'm doing, I'm doing great. Really excited to, to talk to one of the first West Coast brands out here and just, you know, represent. Um, also, it's beautiful spring weather, so... Really can't go wrong. How are you, Brian? How's New York? I'm doing well. Thanks for the the daily weather updates. So, Eric, we are excited to dive in. So, for our listeners that aren't familiar about you, can you give a little background about you and how you got into the cannabis space? Yeah. So, uh, Chibachu's born out of a home kitchen, 2009 in Colorado, and uh, you know our founder James, you know, had some leftover trim from a home grow, and I said, "What can I do with this?" Um, and uh, you know. Played with a bunch of different candies and found taffy and the viscosity really held, you know, the cannabis extract really well. And, you know, at the time, um, you know, he, he's a lifelong friend of mine. He reached out and said, hey, I have this taffy thing. You really got to try it. And uh, hooked me up with this little piece that looked like, you know, uh, you know, piece of chocolate taffy. Um, simple enough, can't do any harm. The one I tried was 70 milligrams. I did not eat the whole piece. Uh, I am a lightweight, um, but tried a piece of it. And, you know, within 30 minutes, man, I felt something I'd never felt, you know, smoking cannabis. And, um, you know, from that moment on, I was hooked. I was like, yeah, you're on to something here, buddy. Uh, what do we do next? And I, I think the next conversation is what do we call it? Um, and, uh, you know, found Chiba Chews was a name that really stuck. I, we had a whiteboard of, of possibilities and, uh, we pegged on the whiteboard and said, you know, let's go with Chiba Chews. Um, and, uh, the legend was born. What were those early days like? Yeah, it was, um, really like the wild, wild west, right? Um, you hear that a lot. It's a little bit of a cliche, but it's really true. You know, I remember just, you know, even just walking around Denver, Colorado, it's like, it's just different, right? Like weed is legal, even in a medical sense, you know, it, it felt different. Um, you know, there were a whole lot of regulations. Nobody had defined what a dose was. Um, edibles at the time, it was a crapshoot. You know, you get this cookie or this brownie or this piece of cheesecake and say, well, what do I do with it? Um, half the time it works, the other half of the time it's a dud. Um, and so there are really no standards in place. I mean, people love flour and, you know, cannabis was what it was. And, um, you know, I, I think bringing an edible like, um, you know, our taffy with Chiba Chews to the market, it really totally set a standard. Um, and uh, it, it was a lot of fun because we were able to set the standards early on. Um, and, and I th I don't even think we knew at the time what we were really doing um, as far as, you know, creating a standard for an entire industry. Uh, we we're just kind of going with gut instinct. Um, and, uh, you know, th those days, uh, loose regulations, uh, they're a lot more fun uh, than dealing with uh, the hoops we're going to jump through now, I'll just say that. Yeah, I can only imagine. So being like one of the early edible brands in the one of the first states, um, there's always been kind of a, a stigma associated with, with the edibles, especially early on. I remember there was a couple really negative media stories that kind of came out associated yeah. with like dosing and those kind of things. So, so what was it like kind of being on the other side of that, those media stories and everything, building a brand, knowing you're trying to do everything the right way and still hearing kind of like this other, other side of the story. You know what I mean? Yeah. The biggest thing I think it did for us is even on a personal level is just taught you resiliency, you know, because you know, we got beat up a lot, you know, in the early days, you know, because, you know, there's a lot of scare tactics, you know, I think the worst one is, you know, Halloween every year. Now it's a joke and we all like, you know, make fun of it. But early on is really scary. Like we did no promotion, no marketing um, around Halloween because the industry was so scrutinized at the time. Um, and, and we were really worried, you know, what the general public was going to think. And, and people really didn't understand the power of that. And you can overdose, but your overdose is like, well, I'm way too high. I'm going to take a nap. Like, it's not something that that's going to cause 
very many issues besides I got to eat some more food and I need to sleep because you know I, I ate too much weed. But because there was so much unknown at the time, uh, we had to be really careful. You know, we we did a I think an excellent job of of walking that tightrope of you know being a um, provocative. Um, you know, exciting brand, but also being responsible, um, you know, and making sure that consumers knew that you're still dealing with something that's going to intoxicate you. Um, and while we want to have fun, cannabis is, is a fun product. Uh, we also have to be very accountable um, and responsible. Uh, and so I think it was, it was difficult to navigate. It was more frustrating because a lot of the scare tactics were completely outlandish, but how can you speak to that uh, without proving it. And I think our, our industry just needed time to prove it um, and, and make sure that we're not over-regulated and allow us to kind of set the standard and, and, and not allow regulators to define what we were going to be. Were there moments during the early days that gave you kind of hesitation to kind of dive in and maybe those thoughts thinking like, is this really going to work? And then take us through the other side of the coin when you realize this is really happening. We've really got some brand staying power here. People are really starting to take to our products. Yeah, I think it was probably 2010. We won the uh, High Times Cannabis Cup with our Decadose, 175 milligrams, 10, 10 gram piece. Uh, that baby rocked you. Um, I think there were shops at the time that that made medical patients sign a waiver uh, before they would they would buy that product because it was just knocking people out at the time. Um, and I think when that caught waves and, and high times was such a big part of what we did early on, which is funny because of, you know, the evolution of high times, you know, how they have transitioned, like and what they've become. But early on, man, like the legend of Chiba Chews was genuinely born through high times because that magazine print over in Alabama, uh, people are like, what is this thing? I got to try it. Um, and, uh, you know, somehow they found it and they did try it. Uh, and I think that, that, that um, that genuine advocacy is really what built the brand. Like, allow the product to prove it for you. Um, I think that was the most important part of it. Like, we wanted, we always did. Like, I never did stuff like this early on. We always were ghosts behind the brand. Like, you could never get us on camera. Um, and many reasons why it was medical gray days. Uh, you know, so we still had family to protect, but also we really wanted the product to speak for itself. Um, and uh, we didn't want to put the focus on the people behind it. We were people to focus on the product and the brand experience. Um, and, and, and that worked for us. Um, and I think as we saw, you know, the, the industry mature and, and kind of catch up to what we were doing, we realized like, Hey man, we got a lot of really great experience, man. We got some great street cred and, and industry credibility. I think we need to start talking a little bit more and let people know, like, here's a brand that's been through it. Maybe we should listen to some of the things they have to say. Yeah. I think everyone has a, a decadence story, at least um, from, from in my little social network, it's like a, your college brownie, right? And everyone eats one. It's like, that was an experience. So um, I want to, I'm curious on like, you guys had the Decados create that awesome brand awareness, kind of planted your guys' flag in the industry. What was the next step from there? And like, how did you guys kind of dive into different product formulations and, and where did you guys decide to steer it from that moment? Good question. We rested on our laurels for far too long. Um, and, and when you get a group of people together like us, and we're small, there's three of us at the ownership level. And we've been there since the beginning. Um, our backgrounds are not in a big business scaling and growing. Um, you know, our founder, James worked in construction. Uh, my partner, Dave owned a hot dog cart uh, and some restaurants on the East coast. Um, I have a you know marketing background, but uh, not in food product. Right. So, um, you know, when, when we launched it, um, you know, we really didn't know where we were going. Um, and I think it was just our resiliency to continue to respond um, that that really gave us, you know, what our identity was. Um, and when you find a formulation that works and you're not like, you know, 10 years, 20, 30 year seasoned professional say, this is what we do next. Uh, you kind of hold on to that lightning in a bottle. Um, and so for years, we just stayed who we were. Indica, Steva hybrid, chocolate taffy with a caramel in between. Um, I don't think it was probably 2014 or 15 when we decided, uh, hey, everybody caught up to us and they're kind of getting ahead of us now. What are we going to do next? Um, and that's when we started playing with fruit taffies. We really wanted to own the taffy. Uh, we jumped over to California at the time. 
uh, had a lot of success in the uh, early gray days um, in the traditional market, which is what you should be calling it now. Don't call it anything else, traditional market. Um, we had a lot of success there. So we weren't doing a lot of um, SKU or product innovation because, again, you got three dudes at the top, um, you know, just kind of learning their way. We weren't looking to grow a multi-state operation. We were just based off of gut instincts. Here's what we're going to do next. And then we'll figure it out when we get there. Uh, by the time we got there, uh, we realized everybody caught up to us. We need to start doing things differently. Um, so after we launched our fruit taffy, um, we really started looking at our minor cannabinoids. Um, and it's hilarious because we started talking CBN back in 2015. Uh, we had the product ideas. Um, we had some R&D in it. But a kilo of uh, CBN at the time was forty, fifty thousand dollars um, dollars and uh, there's no way we could afford to pay for it and still keep our product in a cost-effective manner down to consumers. And the scarcity part, right? You weren't sourcing CBN from legitimate sources to be able to you know, put into a regulated market. So really, the boom for us happened in 2018. Farm bill hits. Hemp is everywhere. CBD is now the new craze. Uh, it heals everything and everybody wants it. Uh, farmers quickly realized there's a little bit of a bust to that boom, and they had a lot of product. Um, and they said, what, what do we do with this product? And it really gave us an opportunity to dive into extracting minor cannabinoids. Um, it's so expensive to do that, that you weren't doing it in a regulated system. You weren't taking this very valuable product that you could extract THC from and trying to find CBN or CBG or any other minor cannabinoid. But because we had such an influx of product available on the hemp side, and it was legal, we started to find the ability to extract CBN, CBG uh, from hemp. And because of the way regulations were specifically in Colorado, it's just an ingredient. Uh, so I can import you know, hemp-derived CBN and infuse it into my THC products because it's just an ingredient. Um, and, and that's when we really found a revitalization of our identity, um, specifically launching our Sleepy Chew. It was 2018. Um, and branding at Sleepy Chew, 20 pack uh, product with five milligrams of THC and 2.5 of CBN in each chew. Um, it took hold quickly. Um, and, uh, you know, I remember looking at it, you know, we, we took a gamble. Like our first kilo of CBN was $40,000, um, but we knew we had to do something. Um, and I'll tell you what, the funny part about it is, you know, looking at it now, four years later, you can find CBN for five, six thousand dollars now. Like that's how quickly that it's a, you know, it's a, you know, what's the demand for our product, and we'll find a way to supply it. Um, so Hemp gave us the pathway. Uh, we had to be early in the market because um, we knew it was an opportunity to diversify and, and to do something different from THC, um, and it really relaunched the brand um, and kind of expanding ourselves in the wellness uh, category. I'm really glad you shared that. And I want to dive into the bomb like a little later, but I want to stay with the formulation aspect. So how does that work when you want to start a new product? Is it we want to stay with this flavor and we're thinking this cannabinoid? And then is it just adjusting the doses? I mean, take us through that experience, what that's like. So, so far, right? And, and you know, looking forward is a totally different story. But so far, I think we're really, really clear that we knew what CBN was doing for us. And we knew the lane we could create with the uh, sleep aid you know, chew. Um, so that was really easy for us. What it came down to was uh, ratios. We knew we're dealing with specifically in recreational uh, markets, a cap of hundred milligrams of THC. We also know you don't need 10 milligrams of THC um, in your CBN product to fall asleep. Um, but what we also know is THC, CBN, uh, they're amplifiers for each other, right? You, you really shouldn't look at one without the other. Specifically, if you're looking for a CBN product to, to really do its job, you need that entourage effect. And so we looked at, can we do a lower dose of THC uh, to help amplify that low dose of CBN? We sprinkled in a little, little bit of melatonin uh, that helped us from a, um, a regulation standpoint. I could then make the claim of sleep aid because uh, I had a little melatonin, just two milligrams though. It was, you know, it was a very small amount, but then I could make those claims. You know, those are the hurdles you got to jump through in regulated markets is you're not making any health claims when it comes to cannabis. You have to be really creative uh, with how you're going to market because consumers, the more they become educated, the more they're looking for specific products to solve specific 
issues. And so in order to make it a sleepy product, we sprinkle in a little melatonin um, and then let the CBN amplified by THC do its job. So the really hard stuff, Brian, really hard is you got to test it, man. You got to take the product and see what ratios work. Um, so I volunteered. I said, guys, uh, you know, this is a tough job, but I'll do it. You know, and, and then once we find a formulation that works internally, you know, we 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 have a great network of bud tenders and buyers. And, and we then go through the R&D process of sampling out and finding the ratio that most consistently works for people. Um, and that's really how we launch our products is, is getting that feedback. There's no real depth in scientific data to tell us these things because we're not studying it on a federal level. We are studying it though. Within our industry, we knew the power of CBD way before a hemp bill because we saw it from the testimony of our consumers. Uh, the same thing we're seeing with the CBN product and you know our trifecta. Um, it's the testimony, the validation from consumers and, and our partners um, that are providing us the insights to say, these things are making real impacts in people's lives. I'm going to stay with the, I want to stay with the formulation. I have, uh, I'm curious on how much strains affect the, the entourage effect with, with CBN, right? So THC, are you guys using specific strains? Have you noticed is that something that affects the formulation and you guys try to stay within like these four strains from an availability perspective? Good question. Um, so the way that we build, um, our, our wellness products is um, through distillation of THC. Okay, so, so then the terpenes aren't going to be uh, yep, factored we're pulling into those out because we want to be precise. And yeah, we want to, this is the, the science behind doing this. And, you know, we're, we're also doing rosin products, which I think um, has a totally different lane where you're preserving your terpenes yeah. and the full dynamic of strains. That's super powerful. And I think there's a, there's, there's a huge growth opportunity in the maturation of consumers to, to buy those products. With our wellness, we want to strip it down to and isolate individual cannabinoids and then reintroduce them together. And the power of doing that, that's why the, the endless research, right? The R&D process of saying, can I add more CBN? What does it do? Can I add less? By stripping the THC down and, and distilling it to just the THC, 90, 95%, we control the levers uh, of dosing to really zone in on the effects we're trying to uh, we're trying to you know have with that product experience and so wellness we really strip it back on THC and then we reintroduce uh, very specific cannabinoids um, to judge the effects and the impact we're looking for from from that wellness product. I think it's really admirable that you give yourself the science for that and dedicate yourself uh -huh. to the team. I gotta, yeah. I gotta hand it to you that not Thank there's you. not many people that are willing to put themselves in line with those. It's a hard job, brother. It's a hard it's job. job. Yeah. So continuing on that path, obviously CBN and sleep kind of are synonymous together, and and that's yeah. an easy one. And then I'm really impressed with the trifecta because now yeah. your your team's taking it up another level, right? Having two variables is hard. Having three is even harder. And yeah. besides the economic aspect, which we can get into, yeah. take us through that formulation. You know how how did that work out? Yeah, that's a great, great question as well. Um, luck, buddy, luck. Um, sometimes you just got to get lucky. No, um, very honestly, I found a really small study um, and I couldn't find it today. I'd, I have to go searching in my emails to find the link for it. But I found a study that um, looked at THC, CBD, and CBG for anti-anxiety. Um, really small. It was rodent study, right? Not on humans. Um, but I saw this study as I was researching these, these different cannabinoid combinations. I've always been a huge fan of the one-to-one THC-CBD because of the balancing effect that CBD gives you for the THC high, like the focus uh, with that, you know, that, that high energy you get. It was always a, a favorite of mine early on. And so I was searching through, you know, well, what are the health benefits, you know, of CBG? Um, and, and when I found this study that showed those three connection points and I looked at where we were at in society, this was 2020 uh, when we introduced it, we're high anxiety, highly stressed. We're all quarantined. We got a lot of social issues going on. Um, I, I, I found a product mix. And so what we decided to do was stick with the 20 pack concept, you know, that we have with our sleepy chews. It's a wellness product. We're not looking to get you high with the max amount of THC I can put in a dosage. I'm looking at my cannabinoid combinations and how can I um, create a solution that causes different effects for people. Uh, so we, we infuse five milligrams of THC, five milligrams of CBD and five milligrams of CBG. 
Um, that again was, was a testing I did, you know, for myself and, you know, internally. And I said, man, okay, I'm feeling this subtle buzz of this THC, but I'm also experiencing great mental clarity and focus, um, and, and that uplifting euphoria. Right. Um, and I said, if I'm feeling this, um, how's everybody else feeling? And, and I got that consistent feedback and I saw the entourage in the amplification of what CBG, CBD paired with THC can do. Um, and uh, we started developing, how can we sell this? Because I can't make health claims. I, I have no other nutraceuticals that I'm putting into my trifecta. How do I sell it? And so, you know, we branded it as our Be Happy Taffy, uh, very broad in general, right? Um, and how you're going to categorize that. And I said, in order for people to understand the effects this product will have on them, they have to try it. Brian, I gave you guys, you know, samples. I said, dude, see if it works for you, man. Like you tell me, you know, if this works. And that's exactly what we had to do um, to launch that product. Sleepy was really clear. You guys with messaging, you just have to look at the product, you know what it's going to do. Um, it required um, heavy sampling at the bud tender and buyer level to build that advocacy. That that trifecta, man, like it is second to Sleepy because Sleepy is such an easy, clear cut demand, but it's continuing to rise and pull through because when people connect a cannabinoid to the internal system and find that mix that really works for them, you don't go away from it. And Trifecta has connected with so many people. The testimony I've received, um, you know, I had a guy early on, he must have said, dude, this is exactly what I was looking for from cannabis when I started years ago, experimenting. You found it. I want to read a book stay focused, but also smile my ass off the entire time through it. Um, and that's over and over, I continued to get that advocacy. And that's what created the clarity of like, okay, this is the impact this product can have on people. I think that's so perfectly well said. And when I took the edibles, which is my preferred way of taking it, I was unsure of what it to expect. And I felt that nice light buzz, massive smile on my face that could not come off, a mm. really dire focus. And then in, I was starving. All of a sudden, like it just kicked wow. in. And I was wondering, I was like, I wonder if this combination kind of elicits my metabolism to kind of get off the charts. But when someone asked me, you know, what it was like, I was like, I just wanted to smile the whole time and mm -hmm. just couldn't kick it off. And, and I really, really enjoyed it. So how hard is that to kind of surface the different ingredients to build that bomb when you're forecasting out? Because like we said with CBN, if you're coming in at like 50 a kilo and now you're yeah. doing multiple cannabinoids plus yeah. the CBN at the same time, it's a lot of money to front out without knowing, hey, we're not sure how to market this. We're not sure people are going to understand. And then we have to lay out a boatload of cash. So how does that work from a bomb standpoint? So we've been able to rely on the credibility of our brand. Potent, consistent, discreet was the original identifiers for Chiba Chews. Unfortunately uh, for us, the entire industry now is potent, consistent, and um, so everybody kind of came up to the standards that we set. But having that early credibility, I think, helped from a um, experimentation standpoint. If Chiba Chews is providing this product and standing behind it, um, there's some legitimacy to, to what's happening here. Um, and I think that was really important from a brand perspective is that we always have maintained the credibility of who we are. In the stuff we put out, we're not trying to put out a gimmick. We're really genuinely behind making a difference for people and making a difference in people's lives. We're not here to maximize profits and sell the business for as much as we can get. We're a for-profit business. You know, we have to, you know, provide for our families. But the driving cause behind the business has always been uh, to make an impact in people's lives. Um, and, and, and that's exactly you know, what's the intention behind Sleepy and then obviously Trifecta. Uh, being a market leader doesn't always mean you're the top guy in selling products. It means you're willing to walk out on that ledge and risk yourself for what you believe in and tell the rest of the industry to come with you because this is where we're going. Um, and that's exactly what we did in wellness. We knew who we were as an original Chibachu, 100 milligram, even back in the days when we were 70 milligrams and 175. Uh, we set a standard, but the industry needs to evolve. Um, you know, I'll, I'll say it here because I'm sure you guys have heard it, Brian, probably over on the West Coast. You know, THC in California is called hot dog water because it's everywhere, right? Everybody has it and it just is what it is. What makes it different from the other product that has 100 milligrams of hot dog water in it? Um, it truly, genuinely is the innovation of these minor cannabinoids, um, terpenes, the way that we are leveraging THC, but also infusing it with other um, you know, cannabinoids is how 
how the industry is going to mature and continue to innovate and grow. Uh, we don't know our ceiling as an edible industry because we're still trying to figure out what these ratios and combinations can truly do for people. Because from a wellness perspective, uh, we can make a huge difference from just getting people high to really helping people on an everyday basis. How much does the volatility of the economics impact the kind of where you guys settle from a dosing perspective? Say you're like, hey, two milligrams works. I get a good feeling. Three is a little better, but because we see this significant volatility in CBG pricing where last month it was maybe a significant factor more than it is this month. How do you guys kind of balance all of those factors together to continuously produce stable products? I think the benefit we have working both in recreational medical markets is we can launch with a recreational market that has these caps and THC potency and work in those ratios first at a more respectable manner. A really good example is um, our sleepy chews, you know, were 2.5 milligrams when we started. We have doubled that dosage because of the CBN prices coming down. We've pulled out even more melatonin and and there's maybe a milligram of melatonin in, but we've doubled the amount of CBN in there, right? Um, Because the affordability of that cannabinoid allowed us to be able to infuse more into our products. So um, as the demand for these miners grow, the price comes down and it gives us the ability that to introduce more of the miners in, into each, you know, two. But also then we can play on the medical side. Um, you know, Oklahoma is a really good example. Our best selling product in the entire market is our Green Hornet Gummy, which is our good night great product. Um, and it's double the potency of our Chiba Chew, Sleepy, right? Um, the Sleepy Chew in every other market is number one. In Oklahoma, which is straight medical, it's far and away the Green Hornet Gummy, uh, the, the Good Night Great. And it's 10 and 5 on that product, which for me is way too much, right? Like I'm not taking 10 milligrams of THC because I'm going to be groggy in the morning and I'm not looking for that. I'll be fresh. That's why I only like the five. But because you know, we can introduce it on the recreational side. We can increase dosage on the medical side and say, well, what impact does this have and, and what sort of demand is there for it? We, we all have tolerances, right? So if we're taking the product over and over, um, our tolerance is going to build up unless we take a break from it. And what we saw in Oklahoma is people actually prefer to take 10 and 5 uh, when their tolerances build up. And so they, they'd rather buy that package over, you know, the 20 pack, you know, 5 and 2.5. Um, and as we see those ratio changes playing on the recreational medical side, we can make the adjustments for our products uh, as our pricing comes down. Do you think that's also something to do with the fact that the markets that you're talking about are a little more established in Oklahoma is a little newer? Could that play any difference where the consumer is always looking for more is, is better? Yeah, and I think the medical side of it too. And I think that's the framing you got to come in, man. It's, it is hard to you know take your brain and turn it off from recreational back onto medical. When we launched in Oklahoma... I had my recreational cap on. So our line was 100 milligram products. Our best sellers in that market now, like three years later, are are 1,000 milligram products. 100 milligrams per piece. Like that's what the market wants, right? Um, You know, both on on our gummies and our chew size. You know, so it's turning the cap off and saying, um, you know, what is the market? Is it medical? Is recreational? What can we get away with, you know, on the recreational side? But on medical is making sure that, you know, you have... While it might be new in Oklahoma or newer, man, these markets mature really, really fast and they catch up. So the the years it took to figure things out in Colorado, market-wise regulation standards, it takes them a fraction of the time in Oklahoma to figure out. That's why you saw the boom that you did because they learned the lessons from Colorado, very liberal regulations. And people are different than they were in 2009 as far as their understanding of cannabis. I don't care if you're in a um, you know a market that allows it or not. You know a whole lot more about cannabis now than you did in 2009, um, and you know that you're looking for something different. So I think consumers are educated faster, um, and they're figuring ways uh, that dosage works for them specifically. How has been educating? Because uh, you guys are kind of pioneering a lot of this minor cannabinoid formulation. How's been the, the educational battle? Is it Have you noticed that the hill has been easier to climb every year and in new markets because of those factors you just mentioned? You're 100% right. I was shocked that Massachusetts, you know, on on East Coast is our first flag on the East Coast working over there. And when we first launched, like, oh, it's a new market. Let's go real slow. Just give them THC. Too complicated. They won't understand. Um, 
no way, man. Like trifecta, sleepy, like they wanted it right away. And I remember the talks early on were like, oh, do you guys want to see the end product? Like, oh, I don't know. Let's just do THC. And no, I mean, same thing. Those those miners are, are popping up the very top of the pull through list. I, I think it's 100 percent. Consumers are way more savvy um, than we even realized. Even in brand new markets, they are way more educated. And if they're not, it's not taking them long to realize there's more than THC, um, you know, that's going to give them, you know, what they're ultimately looking for, you know, for themselves specifically. And and even more on that is the brand staying power, right? If you've been out to the West Coast and you've seen these products, you know yeah. what you're getting. And then when you go to Massachusetts and you see a hundred different products, 90 you haven't seen, you want to lean on the ones you want, because when you do recommend to a friend, you want to recommend one that you like. And you know, it's a layup, right? If you've had the Jeebas, you know for sure you're going to like them, and it's hard not to. They are absolutely delicious. So yeah, let's, thank you. They, I mean, they, there's no shame there. Uh, the live rosin products, let's talk about those. Sure. So um, the other side of it, now that we talked about, you know, we're isolating, um, you know, distilling down and, and reintroducing cannabinoids. The other trend we saw is actually out in California. There you go. I'll give a shout out to 710 Labs. Um, I got one of the, have you guys tried their gummies? Yeah, no. this is not about seven ten. So boo, but no, not really because um, I. It's funny. They're sponsoring the podcast now. We'll send them an invoice. Uh, for yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, the Juice Juice podcast is sponsored by Seven Ten Labs. <laughs> but in, in all honesty, I was up in San Francisco. We're, we're kind of going through a market transition, two thousand twenty maybe or something like that. You know, time just you know folds. But I was looking at the market market trends. I, I saw these seven ten gummies. What they call it. G-U-M-M-I, right? So they're trying to be different with it. Uh, but there was no flavor. It was literally like pectin and rosin, you know, with some citric acid in it. That was it. Um, I was like, all right, I'll give them a try. Always trying new products. And at first I was like, this is horrible. This is, no, this is so bad. But then I allowed the gummy to break down. I'm like, no, this is too good. Like there's something here, uh, tasting the terpenes, uh, tasting the full profile of a solventless extract and then the effects, right? Um, the, the entourage of it with those terpenes, flavonoids all included in it really showed me something. I was like, oh, actually it's not my lane. I'm not going to do a flavorless gummy. I, you know, they're, Customers love it, and that's who that's for. Uh, but there's an opportunity to really look at rosin, a solventless extract, um, and how we can take a full plant experience and put it into an edible product. Uh, so we started looking at it, and it took us a while because it's a very artisanal process uh, to extract uh, live rosin. Um, it is also a very artisanal process to infuse it into the right flavor of gummy or taffy or whatever it is. And then also finding the right partners in your state that do it at a high level and have the strains and with the terpene profile that fits the flavors that you have available to you. So we finally set a date, and it was December of last year, to launch our first small batch strain-specific taffy. Um, and we used an Oreo strain and paired it with our strawberry taffy. And uh, it was delicious. And we're like, yeah, okay, let's go for it. That product sold out really quick. We did a really small batch just for December. Came back in January, um, and I think we did a uh, sour apple space monkey uh, pairing. Um, and uh, that was another hit. And so we, we started seeing some confidence in the pull through of strain specific, right? This is one strain, solventlessly extracted and infused with a very specific fruit taffy. What we also found is these strains don't pair very well with our chocolates and our caramels. The way the terpenes pull through in, in flavor and chocolate and caramel didn't work very well. So we really had to look at our fruit taffies. If you think about terpene profiles, it, that makes a lot of sense. The other side of it is when we looked at terpene profiles that had more gassy flavors to them, didn't pair well at all either. So again, painstaking process. You have to sample so many different strains. What a hard life it is to have to sample all of these products. I decided to delegate that one to our Colorado GM uh, because, you know, again, my tolerance levels, there's no way. So 
Uh, Ryan, our Colorado GM, really took the hold of the R&D process because you genuinely have to, man. Like it is, it is really hard to go get seven, eight, nine strains in you know in a very small five gram capacity. You know, mix it into a small batch of taffy and then sample it between a lemon meringue, a sour apple, and a strawberry, and decide which pairings are the best. Right, um, and you're really going on your pairings because the effects are the effects. It's really on the flavor experience, the taste of it, because you're not trying to hide the terpenes here. You know, for for years, the industry has been trying to get the taste of cannabis out of their edibles. And now we're coming all the way back to say, no, 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 no. We want you to experience the terpene taste, but you have to do it in a complementary fashion uh, that works well, you know, with, with the fruit taffy flavors. So long story short, it takes so much research and failing in, in combinations to make a strain-specific live rosin product work. And um, it really takes time and effort to do it right. You know, what we're seeing a lot right now is, you know, we're seeing a proliferation of live rosin products coming out in different markets. What I fear most is people are just calling it live rosin. Um, they're not really doing the work to make sure that the uh, terpene profile and the flavor profile are matching to really let that strain shine. Um, and my concern is consumers are finding these products and they're trying them and saying, I don't get it, just tastes hashy and, and it's not what I was looking for. Um, you know, so we're kind of combating against the proliferation, right? When you're a market leader, you go to market with it, you'll see a lot of other competitors jump in as fast as they can. Um, and I would caution anyone thinking about doing it to make sure you have the time and effort uh, and bandwidth to do the testing process because every quarter we release a new small batch, you know, straight specific taffy. And uh, we spend, you know, three weeks. Um, working on, you know, sourcing the right live rosin strain and making sure it pairs properly, you know, with the right taffy flavor uh, before we even consider, you know, buying a kilo of it and doing a batch. So it, it is a, a painstaking process to get it right because, boy, if you get it wrong, you're just giving somebody something that's hashy and burns your throat. And why did I just, you know, pay extra for that? So that's really what led us into live rosin and an appreciation, I think a deeper appreciation for the process it takes uh, to extract, you know, solventlessly, maintain the turp profile in, in the appreciation that consumers that enjoy that live rosin, um, making sure we're paying respects to it um, in the way that we're infusing it into our, our products. Personally, I think that those are my favorite edible products or our live rosin products. And I think that traditionally, you know, back in the day, the edibles weren't available. So ingesting cannabis was through smoking and flour, right? Yeah. And I think live rosin is the closest edible to a flour experience that you can possibly have. And it, it just okay. goes back to the fact that it's solventless. There's no kinetic energy that's poured into it. You're really yep. just trying to capture that chemical profile associated with the flower and then reintroduce it in a different form factor. And so I think at the end of the day, that's probably one of the most um, powerful products on the market because yeah, you're going to see all these kind of copycats and, and marketing kind of games being played. But at the end of the day, when a consumer eats a live rosin product and it's made the right way, they're going to know. And the experience is far and above better in my personal experience than, than other edibles. When you say it's closest, do you mean by taste or by like experience? Experience. So like when you eat, there's some edibles that are just like just so this it goes back to Marinol. So Marinol is one of the first synthetic THC pharmaceutical drugs out there. And a lot of people that were taking it instead of like smoking flour that were on chemotherapy did not have the same experience. They weren't experiencing the hunger. They weren't getting like all these other benefits that they were supposed to from the cannabis associated with the chemotherapy treatment. And, and it just has to do with that entourage effect. And so there are edibles that are just strictly THC and it's a completely different experience. And some people really enjoy that just isolate experience, but it is very different than a flower experience because you're missing the entourage effect associated with that strain. And so that's really the difference. And I think when you say entourage, you know, you're like you said, I think terpenes, we, we, we need to study it more. The scientific so more. So benefits <laughs> of the effects of terpenes, right? Like there's no scientific data. Everybody thinks it's just for flavor, but terpenes hit, man. Like, it's, I mean, it, 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 it's real. We just don't have the scientific data to, to back it, to make the claims. Right. Um, you, you know, we talk about it. I'm going to do a selfish promotion here because we yeah. also launched um, <laughs> our, right. our new live rosin melts. Um, oh, yeah. So these guys are not strain specific. 
but what we do is we we pull together multiple strains um, that have similar terpene profiles. Um, and you'll see, you know, in each piece, you know, we've got a, an actual, it, it's got a terp um, profile in there. That's actually one of the best ways I've seen that communicated. That's pretty awesome. straightforward. And so what we do is, you know, all of our melts, you know, we got a, a strawberry, an apricot. I know, smart, right? Uh, <laughs> toasted, toasted coconut are the flavors. So, but each batch uses the same blended rosin. So really you're, you're looking at from batch to batch, you're going to have the same live rosin oil mix in here until, you know, we move on to the next batch, but it, it's important because that mix is complementary to each one of those uh, flavors. You know, these melts, it, it's a pate de fruit. So it's basically a fruit jam uh, is what it is. And we're taking, this is our first all natural vegan friendly product and stripping it down and saying, if you really want to experience the live rosin impact, uh, let's strip everything else out and pair it with a fruit and a little bit of pectin and some sugar, right? And, and that's really what this product is. Um, and, and so while it's not a strain specific, it's taking specific strains, blending them together that have complementary, you know, terpene profiles um, and making sure it is enhanced by the fruit jam that we're infusing it into. And that's, you know, same thing, man. It, it is the full experience you're trying to give somebody that, that is as true to the plan as possible. Um, and that's exactly what we did, you know, with these melts products. For the 99% of the people who are going to listen to this, can you explain to them what that graph is? Yeah, that infographic uh, that you display what's uh, in the It's phenomenal because it's so hard to communicate that information is. Yeah, so, you know, <laughs> really, and, and, you know, we didn't mark the actual numbers in there, right? Like, you know, what the percentage is, but really it just kind of shows what the dominant terpene is. Um, and so we really encourage our customers to be educated about the uh, buying experience. And why this was important for us is because we are seeing a proliferation of live rosin products out there. And what I'm going to tell you is it's a really delicate process to keep your terps um, in your oil when you're heating it up, right? Because that's what heat does. It bakes off your turps. So it's a really delicate process to heat up the oil enough to infuse it, but not overdoing it to bake all the turps off. Um, so what was important for us is to prove it. Um, and so all of our batches, we also uh, get a turp profile. And then we take that profile um, and we print it onto our cards for you here, right? So you can kind of see, oh man, I really love the way that that tasted and felt. Um, and now you can see what the terpenes were in that blend in order to give you a better idea of how terps affect your overall experience, right? We also put in the strains, you know, those are the dominant strains. There's a couple other ones, but these were the top three strains. You can say, man, I love the aroma. I love the taste. I love the effects. What types of strains are going to give me that? Um, so that we can educate consumers to say they're always looking for what works best for them personally. What's going to impact me? We're all so unique in how cannabis impacts us. When we find those connections, we want to hold on to them and, and educating them of what the turf profile is in this specific batch and what strains contributed to that effect um, is part of that education process that we want to make sure our consumers understand it and they're empowered by it. Such a nice touch, right? Because after you consume one of those and you're like, this tastes delicious, what yeah. am I tasting? You open up the container and you see that and you're like, oh, this is exactly what it is. And then it allows them to bring it back to wherever they go next and use that as a guide to, to hopefully yes. replicate that experience, which is probably super, super helpful. And, and also, too, I mean, there's like uh, terpenes are a huge part of aromatherapy. And so if you're looking to relax and you're like, hey, I love lavender and, and I know the major terpene in lavender and you're looking for that, it gives you something to grab onto to then create that experience you're looking for. So I, I love it. Well, I think most importantly, guys, is is accountability because the more yeah. you see live rosin products out there that can't prove a terpene profile, you're not dealing with a live rosin product. If it's a fast acting, there, there's no way. Like you can't yeah. do all of these things and put it into a product. Like it's a very artisanal, natural process to, to get live rosin. You're you know, heat and pressure is all you're doing there, guys, to get it to get it in there. If if you can't prove the profile um, in your edible and you can't taste it um, and you can't see it, you're going to have consumers that question: Is this really 
live rosin. And what was most important to us is to defeat that narrative of like, is it live rosin or not? Like you just have to look at the profiles and you're going to see what's in there and then you're going to taste it and that's going to back it up. Um, So I think that was really important for us to show it. Every single time you open your container, you're going to see what the profile is in there. There's no hiding from it. Our batch test results show it in there. And I challenge all of our competitors to do the same thing so that we build trust into the validity of a live rosin product. Eric, what is one fact or statistic that would shock the outside industry about the edible industry or about the edible process? Probably the amount of oil necessary uh, to get you high. Um, when, when people think 100, you know, when you feel the effects of 10 milligrams or 100 milligrams, that word milligram, like there's so little amount. And when you look at, you know, distilling down THC, the reason why, and this is the crazy part that I hear people talking about potency caps, right? Um, okay, I understand it on concentrates, flour, whatever, but it only hurts an edible to cap the potency because if I have a 95% THC cannabis oil, that means I have to use less oil in the edible to achieve 10 milligrams. If I have a 50% potency or 30% oil potency on the oil I got to put in my taffy, it's going to be sludge because you have to put so much more oil in it to get to 10 milligrams. 10 milligrams is 10 milligrams. No matter if the oil potency put into it is 99% or 10%. The higher the quality of the oil, the more efficient you can be in the amount you have to put into the edible. And I hate all of these regulations that go around talking about capping the potency of oil that you're going to put in edible because all you're doing is ruining the consumer experience by having me put more oil into the same edible to achieve the same 10 milligrams. Since you've been in the cannabinoid industry, what has been the biggest misconception? What, what I hate most now, like I've been here so long, right? So if you ask me that 10 years ago, it's totally different than, than what it is now. I think the biggest misconception is um, um, what the industry is really all about. Um, sitting here and talking to you guys, uh, we've been around a long time and our mission is to serve our customers you know, with best value we can. Um, what I hate to see is the loudest people in the room are usually the least qualified um, you know, when it comes to our industry. And we're seeing a lot of money getting poured into multi-state operators. What they're doing is they're hiring consultants that, like me that have worked here and have done all the hard work to get here to help them build their business a little bit differently. Right. Um, they're buying them out um, and uh, they're using them as consultants to, to build even further. The roots of who we are, the identity of our industry, um, you know, there's a lot of people that, that need to speak up. And I think a misconception is that we're not here. Uh, we've been here all along and we're continuing to do the job. It's just we're not the loudest guys in the room anymore uh, because the room got a whole lot bigger. and There's a lot more money uh, sitting inside the room because as as we creep closer towards federal legalization or multi-states, you know, continue to grow on, you're going to find that that money sitting on the sidelines, it's a little less risky and they're going to take, you know, more of a chance on it. Uh, But we're still here. We're still working for the customer's best interest. Um, Just got to be really smart about being able to identify us in the marketplace now. Before we do predictions, we ask all of our guests, if you could sum up your experience in a main takeaway or lesson learned to pass on to the next generation, what would it be? I think we talked about a little bit earlier. I think resiliency is so important. It's a life lesson. If I didn't, if I didn't, um, you know, do this for the last twelve years, I've had many opportunities to quit and walk away. And uh, what I come back to is this is a once in a generation opportunity to create an industry and to take that responsibility. It's incredibly important that we take it serious what we're doing here because we are creating legacies right in front of our eyes. And you're going to fail. You're going to fall hard. And your ability to get back up, it's such a cliche thing, but until you go through it and continue to fall down and have to get back up, you don't realize the value in doing it. Um, The journey is as important as the destination. And while I don't know exactly where we're going to end up, what I do know is every opportunity we have to create an industry and be a part of it like this is a blessing. Um, you know, you're never going to get an opportunity to do this in your lifetime. So, so take that, you know, and honor it. Right? Um, don't look at it as a cash cow, an opportunity to make as much money as you can. Look at it and say, man, I have an opportunity to make a real societal difference. I can change the perception of society around a plant. Um, that for years, for decades, have been told it's it's bad and it's dangerous. When when in reality, it's an opportunity to to really help people um, and, and make sure that we're honoring that first and foremost above anything else we do. That's really well said, Eric. It's twenty twenty eight. 
How will edibles be marketed to consumers by flavors, cannabinoids, or modality? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, It's not going to be flavors because there's so many goddamn flavors uh, out there already. People are fatigued by flavors, right? I think we all have our preference, but no way. Um, You know, I think I I, I genuinely believe, and it's not because I have an amazing wellness line that is booming and everybody needs to try it, but I really believe um, our cannabinoids are going to change lives. Um, I think the term we came up with early is, you know, minor cannabinoids are made with major effects, right? When we start really looking even deeper. I mean, we're, we're looking at CBC right now. We launched a um, an energy chew with our THCV product. When we start looking even deeper, CBDA, CBDO, like there are so many different minor cannabinoids. Um, we haven't even scratched the surface on what these ratio combinations can really do for people. My hope is by that time, we've done the real research and we've vetted through all the BS and we have products on the market that can really help people in their very specific needs. Um, I, I'm going to say cannabinoids, man. Kellen? Uh, I mean, I'm going to go with cannabinoids too, but I'm going to go with, uh, instead of cannabinoids, I think it's going to be a step further away from distinguishing the difference between cannabinoids, right? Like right now, people, I guarantee if you ask 10 people, nine of them couldn't tell you the difference between Tylenol and ibuprofen, yep. right? And there is very different chemicals in both of those drugs. And so yep. I think at the end of the day, uh, it's going to kind of have to, be one degree away from exactly where what cannabinoids are in there, and it's going to be more of an experience situation, like the energy, like the yeah. uplifting, like the relaxing kind of aspect. But I think that there will be hard science that ties that experience to specific cannabinoid formulations. All right, what do you think, Brian? Yeah, that's that's the one I was going to take. I, I think uh. that people <laughs> need to recognize that, like, people don't just consume cannabinoids just to get super high, right? There's that creative rush, and until you find that product that inspires and just kind of like lets you like out from a creative standpoint, I think it's hard to really explain to others because it's like a whole nother dimension of, of freedom. And, and once people unlock that area, I think it's really going to surprise people. And I think once we get that science research that backs it up and people can find those products and say, hey, I want to take that microdose product or I want to take this energy product. And then at night I can take my sleep product and there's no confusion with them. I think it's going to freak people out. I really think people are, have no idea what's coming for them. And I'm really excited, you know, for that next step when we get there. So, Eric, for all of our East Coast listeners and others out there who, who want to get in touch, and they want to buy your products. Where can they find them? <laughs> As of right now, um, it's time for a vacation to Colorado, guys. You can go to Massachusetts. You can go to Massachusetts. It's going to be five milligrams across the board. Talk to your state regulators if you got a problem with that cap. I do, but I'm not lobbying for you. We are um, in Oklahoma. Uh, we're in Nevada. We're in California. We're launching in Missouri next month. I'm going to keep going down the West Coast chain. We're going to New Mexico. We're also looking at Montana. So sorry, Brian. Uh, we are really close in New York, but New York is a shit show. And good luck getting regulations done in time for us to be able to distribute there, buddy. Um, but I'd love to get to New York next. I think that's on the East Coast. That's probably the one we're closest with. We're talking to a couple uh, parties that you know are going to be able to onboard before you know distributor licenses are out and that sort of stuff. We're hopeful for it, but man, I will tell you what, it's messy. I, I think you know just to, real quickly on that. I think when New York and New Jersey turn on, I think we'll hit our tipping point because of the way it's going to export out of those two states. Um, we go right down the Eastern Seaboard. I think um, these states are going to have no option but to regulate or to legalize and regulate themselves so that they're collecting those tax dollars. Yeah, New, New Jersey's live right now. And I know a lot of friends who have made the the trip across oh. the bridge because, yeah. well, they want to get what they want to get. So it's so easy. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It's it's unfortunate. But yeah, maybe maybe by the time this airs, we'll have good news. I'm very yeah. doubtful of that. But hey, I can always hope. <laughs> so. so Eric, thanks so much for your time. Talk to you soon. Yeah. Thanks. Nice guys. Take care. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hey there, my name is Leah Babrudi, and I'm the founder and host of Chicks Podcast, where I discuss cannabis, psychedelics, and other natural medicines. 
I not only interview people who use them as treatment for different conditions, but also the entrepreneurs who share their knowledge on how they built their businesses. If this sounds interesting to you, give my show a listen. I'm sure you'll learn something that'll surprise you.